the week in agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning and welcome to the Happy Easter edition of The Farming Programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Well, we're at that time of year when visitor numbers to the countryside start to increase. Add to that the partial lifting of lockdown restrictions last week and, of course, the school holidays. We're expecting many more families enjoying the fresh air and beauty of the country. The vast majority respect the farms, the fields and the animals in them, but sadly not all. Nick Sanford is the Acting Regional Director of the Country Land and Business Association, the CLA. What's the CLA's message, Nick, to the visiting public and farmers this Easter? Uh, Well, the CLA's main message is to welcome people out to start again enjoying the countryside. And with the gradual easing of lockdown, there's a great opportunity for people to get out and about, to enjoy country walks and enjoy the... um, you know, the landscape and uh, on all the joys the country can bring. But we do ask people to take particular care, especially with dogs, because there's lots of lambs about at the moment, lots of young livestock, lots of pregnant ewes, and they're very easily disturbed and um, worried by dogs. And there have been some awful incidents recently which have been widely reported in the press of, you know, of uh, owners being fined, of dogs having to be shot, and, of course, of... Uh, terrible damage done to ewes and lambs, you know, either mauled or um, brought down and killed by by dogs. Is the sensible advice quite simply, if you're out for a walk with your dog in the countryside, just keep it on the lead? If there's livestock present or if you're not sure, keep it on the lead, yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically the thing to do because even a, you know, a flock of sheep some distance away can easily be scared by the presence of a dog. However, tame and well-behaved and well-trained the dog is it's just the, the natural reaction against dogs is sometimes just to run and if they run and panic then they it, it can lead to um you know abortion of lambs and, and, and all sorts of problems so yeah it, it's really be just think about it i mean you know these sheep are obviously they're they're wonderful creatures and they're someone's living and uh, they need to, be, need to have some respect uh shown to them Mm, and they, they, the sheep don't realise that a dog might just be playful. They get exactly, frightened yeah. and, and away yeah, they go. Yeah. Last time yeah. we were allowed out, if you want to put it that way, to go and roam the countryside, there were all sorts of pictures of people straying from pathways, destroying crops and so on. So away from the animals for just a moment, pathways and sticking to them is, is a big thing, isn't yeah. it? It's great that people want to get out and about, but you have to remember that obviously these pathways and things, you know, they're running through farmers' fields. There's crops which will be growing away well now. You know, these these crops are, um, you know, there are loaves of bread and, and food for the future, and they do not be trampled on. And again, it's someone's living, it's someone's livelihood. Um, you have to be aware of that. There's a lot of work, hard work and cost involved in establishing crops and growing them. And if they're trampled, then it's just, just destroyed and, and a waste. Um, so, I mean, the CLA's main sort of message, I think, over, over the, the well, like Easter weekend and, and coming is, is, you know, get out, enjoy it, but fo- follow the country code, look after your dogs, keep the dogs on the lead, don't stray off the footpaths, enjoy the footpaths that are there. And the other thing we would ask is just think a bit about where you're parking, if you're going out for a walk. Um, just be very wary of blocking gateways or um, or access points to farms and farmers' fields because although it might look nothing's going to happen, you, you just don't know. You know, in 20 minutes' time, a tractor might want to get in there. There might be some need to get in there. And um, if there's a car in the gateway, they can't do it. 
Nick, what's the CLA's advice to farmers? I think the key advice for farmers and landowners is to recognise, obviously, that you do have responsibilities uh, when it comes to, to footpaths. And if you want if you want the public to um, respect your land and your, your, your livelihood, good signs are, really help because people want to know where they can walk. So if it's not clear that you know, the route of a footpath across a field or around the edge of a field, if it's not clear where the gate or the stile is, you know, some signs put up do make a great, a great deal of help. It also makes it easier for you to say to people, look, there's the footpath, please stick to it. You know, it's clearly marked. And just be aware, you know, if, if there is a, an obstruction on a footpath, people will walk around it. So why not clear it up and make, make sure that the footpath is, 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 a, is a pleasant place to walk? Lovely. Uh, Nick Sanford, Acting Regional Director of the CLA, thanks for joining us again. OK, thank you. Bye bye. Time to talk agronomy now and welcome back Sean Sparling. Good morning, Sean. Are you feeling better? Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Yes, thanks very much. I'm all sorted out now, more or less anyway. Just goes to show COVID hasn't gone anywhere. It's easy to become complacent and think that just because you haven't had it, it's there's nothing to worry about. But I think we have to look at it that we're all still at risk. So despite the lifting of a few restrictions, just treat the world as if you've got it. And I think that protects people by default. With me, I didn't get any of the symptoms that you would normally associate with it, really. I didn't lose my sense of smell or taste. I did have a headache. I did have a slight cough, but I've always got a headache and a slight cough. With me, it was sneeze and runny nose, which isn't what you would expect particularly. I think I've probably overall had worse colds, but it's a psychological unknown, which is the biggest thing with it, really. But uh, I think my voice would probably disagree that I've had worse colds. Anyway, back in the no-COVID outdoor field world, um, heck of a weathery week, wasn't it? Started nice and mild, crept up gently by Wednesday to 24 degrees and then dropped back to 7 degrees by the time we hit Thursday. So having started on a weather moan i think we get into the point where we could soon do with the april showers to just drop in and damp down some of these seed beds start the chip then it wants to come warm and stay dry for a bit oh i'm a poet and i didn't know it uh, look suffice to say philicron accumulated day degrees that is now in charge so when you get 24 degree temperatures like tuesday and wednesday those leaves are starting to rush out so get out there and cut open the cereal plants and check that growth stage make no assumptions because crops that were at growth stage 30 just seven days ago where the distance from the top of the basal node to the tip of the ear is a centimeter seven days later are now growth stage 31 and beyond and that's where the distance from the top of the basal node to the base of the ear is then a centimetre. So don't delay any T1s just because you've only just done a T0. You know, growth stage is the key to everything, particularly when we're looking at a world without chlorthalonil as a protectant to help against septoria. If leaf three is emerging, you've got to treat that whether T0 went on last week or two weeks ago. And some varieties of wheat and barley are much quicker to set off in the spring than others too. So speak to your advisor, get them to write a plan down for you as to which varieties you should be prioritising. Winter rye is of course the quickest cereal to set off in the spring um, and particular attention to detail as far as growth regs needs to go with rye. It's a very leggy crop once it starts. Rust mildew and eye spot are the biggest disease issues in rye but at the moment all of mine seems relatively clean and free of disease. Spring wheat, spring oats, spring barley, they're rushing away where they went into a bit of damp. Very few aphids about as well which is so different to this time last year. So 
just as with the Misers persicae and the sugar beet, the winter will have slowed down the movement and the migration of wing rose grain, bird cherry oat aphids too, and whose legacy, incidentally, of barley yellow dwarf virus in some of the earlier drilled winter barleys and early drilled wheats is beginning to unfold out here. So this may well yet have a sting in its tail. Winter barley rushing towards T1. Some of it's only just at T0, but it'll move quickly too now, thanks to Philicron. The sugar beet mostly drilled. Um, none up for me uh, as yet. I've got plenty that's cracking the seed coat, but pre-ems thankfully nicely on where black grass and not grass in particular are potential problems for me. Pea and bean weevil as well on Thursday, Friday, starting to find a lot of pea and bean weevil activity, hitting emerging spring beans and hitting some of the late drilled winter beans that got wet and then set hard as they're still struggling to emerge in places. Um, and they're absolutely hammering them. So keep your eyes open for that and speak to your advisor about what you do next. Oilseed rape as well, pollen beetle. When you get days of 15 degree, the pollen beetle migration begins. And on Wednesday afternoon, they absolutely exploded around Lincoln. Now, the numbers could be the lack of oilseed rape crops out there to dilute that population of pollen beetle, but threshold was easily exceeded around Lincoln on Wednesday afternoon. Not so much Wednesday morning, but by Wednesday afternoon it was. So there's a few things here when it comes to pollen beetle. Firstly, the threshold. If you've got up to 30 plants a square metre of oilseed rape, your threshold is 25 pollen beetle adults per plant from an average selection across the field, representative sample from about 20 plants. Forget about the yellow plant the ones that are turning yellow forget about the headlands move into the field and have a look and it's 25 per plant if you're exceeding that you're at threshold if you've 30 to 50 plants a square meter that threshold falls back to 18 per plant 50 to 70 plants a square meter that drops back further to 11 per plant and 70 plus plants a square meter that threshold somewhere between seven and nine pollen beetle per plant now i was finding well in excess of 100 per plant on green bud oilseed rate which is a good seven to ten days away from flowering on Wednesday afternoon but it's not as straightforward as thinking oh we'll just go and bung an insecticide on that's not the right thing to do it's not the right way to think of it because oilseed rape produces around 60% more flowers than it ever turns into pods so there's plenty of room for a bit of pollen beetle damage out there they're looking for the pollen they're seeking out the pollen and they become vital pollinators once the flowers appear so there will always be more on yellowy flowers than there are on the green one pollen beetle rarely damage damage yields enough on winter oilseed rape to warrant treatment because oilseed rape is such a good compensatory plant and it will produce massive numbers of side shoots and buds further down within the canopy in order to compensate for that. Spring rape is a much bigger problem when it comes to pollen beetle because it doesn't compensate like that. So pyrethroid resistance is widespread in the pollen beetle population too. So as several people on Twitter were commenting on Wednesday afternoon, despite spraying them the populations appeared completely untouched by that insecticide and the pyrethroid did very little good anyway so manage your expectations and be prepared for an insecticide to do little or no good trust that crop to do its thing and compensate for the damage trust the fact it's got 60 percent more buds than it needs anyway trust the predators to help you out and if an insecticide does have to be used then choose the one with the safest profile to predators tau fluvalinate maverick is much kinder on predators although there are very few 
bees and pollinators out there at the moment because the crops aren't in flower. And multiple pyrethroid applications for the sake of doing it should be something you avoid like the plague. If there's any yellow out in that field, don't even think about spraying them anyway. So the joys of growing all seed rape haven't gone away really, have they? If it's not one thing, it's another. So let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks, Sean. Great to have you back. And if you want to speak to Sean, you can contact him through his website, sasagronomy.co.uk. Recently, we've reported on the votes by the horticulture and potato sectors against the compulsory levy imposed by the AHDB. Last week, Phil Stocker, chief exec of the National Sheep Association, warned that unless AHDB beef and lamb listened to its levy payers, it could go the same way. Phil's with us now. Phil, what is your relationship with AHDB beef and lamb? We've had some very robust discussions with uh, AHDB over the last three years or so, I guess, that they've been re-looking at their their strategy. And I think we've always felt that um, there needed to be more attention placed on trade development um, and market promotion, really. That's what most levy payers are looking for their uh, money to be spent on, really. Um, Some of the research and the, the best practice work the AHDB do is uh, really valued and it's, uh, it, it's useful work, but it, it is felt that the balance has gone a bit out of kilter, if you like, towards best practice and taking the eye off the ball of marketing and promotion. And that's where most people would like to see their money spent. You've said in the past that you, you know, the, the, the National Sheep Association is a strong supporter of AHD beef and lamb, but you feel that the organisation needs to be seen to listen to levy payers. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'd be in a much poorer position if we didn't have um, a statutory levy, um, and if we didn't have a fund of money to support the industry in the in the very wide way that um, that AHDB do, you know, we'd be in a much poorer place. But I think we we are just in a situation where, um, yeah, levy payers need a, a greater say in uh, in what they feel needs to be done to support their industry, and uh, we need to try to get to a point where it's much more responsive of the industry's needs uh, just now. You know, not what they were maybe three or four years ago, but it needs to be much more responsive than it has been in the past Um, but also more work in terms of developing uh, trade opportunities elsewhere across the world particularly as we're um, we've now left the European Union and our trading relationship with Europe is not as um, free-flowing and as harmonious as it has been in the past. Let's move on to exactly that subject because uh, we talked on this programme recently about uh, exports of pigs to the EU and that's virtually come to a standstill it seems like it's the same situation with breeding stock with sheep at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Breeding stock and um, exports of uh, breeding sheep at the moment have, have grown to a complete um, standstill. You know, there is a strong demand from Europe for some of our high-quality um, sheep genetics here in the UK. And at the moment, there are no border control posts um, on the European side of the channel um, that have got live animal um, status. So we, we we just simply can't export anything um, across what we're now calling the short straits across the English Channel over to uh, the northern European coast. What do you want to see happen? What What's the solution to this? Well, uh, there, there, there's several areas that we need some more work done, really. I, we, we certainly need more work done on easing the, the general uh, controls around um, export health certificates for uh, products going out to Europe. It's still the bureaucracy, the paperwork, and the delays in terms of um, us exporting lamb and sheep meat out to Europe is still adding significant costs um, to, to processors and exporters. So there needs to be more in the way of negotiation that's done between um, the UK government and the EU Commission to try to ease that um, that, that, that burden. 
Bear in mind as well that uh, whilst um, all these controls were placed on us exporting products out to the European Union, the European Union were given a, 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 a six-month transitional delay um, for applying the same controls for products coming in. And I guess if if we don't get this sorted out fairly quickly with the EU, other countries are going to, you know, they, they need this product. Other countries are going to step in and take the market, aren't they? Well, they will, absolutely. I mean, that will happen on the meat side. And uh, we always know that New Zealand and Australia are very um, hungry and, and uh, willing and ready to step into um, situations like this. So they will step in on the meat side. And then winning that, uh, that, that market back uh, takes time. It takes a lot of effort um, from, from, from our part then. Yeah, it's we need it's to just not working at the moment, is it? It's in, not working in simple terms, no. It's not working for no. us. So what happens next? Uh, we keep talking to DEFRA, and uh, we keep trying to put um, pressure on DEFRA to talk to the EU Commission. We've got a problem there because you only got to look at the, you know, listen to the news or, or watch the news, and the relationship between the UK government and the EU Commission is not particularly good at the moment. So I think the uh, the will um, and the ability to be able to have uh, reasonable conversations and to overcome some of these problems, you know, is um, you know, we're really struggling with it at the moment. But I think everyone needs to just calm down a little bit and, pro- and start to have some constructive discussions to resolve some of these issues. Without that agreement between our government and the EU Commission, these problems are going to continue. Thank you, Phil Stocker, Chief Exec of the National Sheep Association. Incidentally, the AHDB has a new boss with the appointment of Tim Rycroft, currently Chief Operating Officer of the Food and Drink Federation, as its new Chief Executive. To the market we go now. Kit Dickinson from Openfield joins us with a look at how the markets have fared this week. Good morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. After a slow start to the week, Wednesday saw gains of £4 on November futures to put us back on track and even par for the week. This is due to the USDA numbers coming in for the month end. This may be a good time, looking at these figures, to move a little more on. Lincolnshire wheat is now moving at pace after at least one, and in some cases, two passes of fertiliser, and most growers are coming to the end of their spring drilling campaign for Lincolnshire. But, looking at barley, drilling continues at pace in England. Some regions may be complete ahead of the rains that will be coming in next week. France has now finished, and Scandinavia has made a steady start. Domestic markets remain quiet on the old crop, with the odd trade short inquiry. New crop markets see values nominally weaker with the buyers. Expectations that growers have planted their crop and will look to market some more as it emerges. Recent usage data shows a near 19% drop in February year-on-year, highlighting the impact of the extended lockdown for brewers. However, on a more positive note, we are hearing that brewers have been gearing up for reopening on the 12th of April. This has meant that we have had a slow start as they use all of the backlog that the malt has built up while the brewers have been operating at lower capacity. Hopefully, this should pick up soon. Looking at all seed rate, the market has been waiting all week for the USDA planting stock report number. Position squaring ahead of the release has seen market values ease back as future markets carry the burden of the fund positioning. The report did not disappoint in terms of the surprises, with the soybean planting intentions some 2.4 million acres lower than had been anticipated by the market. This sent the US futures limit 70 cents to the dollar higher, which dragged the other markets with it, including Matif futures. Whilst Mark stocks were reopened slightly higher, which implied the ending stock number was forecast slightly lower, and therefore there will be a further guide in next Friday's report as to what may or indeed may not happen. So looking at prices this week for feed wheat, April 194 to 196, 
May 196 to 198. New crop off the combine August 156 to 159. And November 161 to 164. New crop milling wheat premiums are circa 18 to 20 pounds. Barley for April 154 to 156. May 155 to 157. August new crop off the combine 133 to 136. November 140 to 143. Malting barley premiums are currently £12 for a 185 on old crop. And lastly, all seed rape for April 412 to 415. May 414 to 416. August new crop 356 to 359. And November 364 to 367. Thank you very much. Thanks as ever, Kit. Now, Easter is, of course, a very important time in the Christian calendar. And let's get the thoughts of agricultural chaplain Alan Robson. Good morning, Alan. Very happy Easter to you. Oh, good morning. Happy Easter. What's the situation regarding Easter services this year? Well, it, it, it's um, changing days. Today, I do have a service I'm around the county. Uh, each individual church will be making their own decisions, but... Uh, two of mine have decided to say, yep, let's, we've got to abide by all the rules and track and trace uh, what we were doing earlier in the year before this last lockdown. And um, so we're gathering uh, today and all be socially distanced and wearing masks and we can't sing the Easter hymns, which will be very frustrating. Um, but I think people just want a sense of being in a space together and celebrating in their hearts and heads the end. And I'm beginning with lighting the candle, um, certainly to remember uh, the tragic loss of so many people this year, you know, looking beyond Easter uh, as well. What's your Easter message to the rural and farming community this year, Alan? My headline is what we all long for, I think, are outstretched arms. And that's the theme of my sermon today. It's we all long for that embrace, uh, literally, um, as well as you know, emotionally and mentally. When you look at the stories pre-Easter and then beyond Easter, I think the stories beyond Easter are all about connection and relationship and possibility and optimism. And it's about people understanding each other and being prepared to listen to each other uh, in good times as well as in challenging times. And I hope that as um, the chaplaincy develops uh, over this next year alongside LRSN, I'm, I'm full of optimism for um, the next year. There'll be challenges as there are all the time, but Easter Hope um, is about being open to possibility. Outstretched arms can mean welcome as well as you know looking forward to drawing nearer to each other in the future so yeah uh, that's i think that's my theme 
Absolutely. Alan, a very happy Easter to you. Thank you. All the best. Congratulations to Alan and Alison Twiddy, LRSN Project Manager, who've both been awarded the High Sheriff's Awards this week. And the excellent work that Alan does as Agricultural Chaplain is being enhanced with three new appointments to the role. Reverend Sue Hentley for the south of Lincolnshire, focusing on the Boston Archdeaconry. The Reverend Lee Gable will be supporting farmers in Stowe and Lindsay. And the third appointment is Reverend Al Jenkins, who will provide support in the Archdeaconry of Lincoln. Each will offer a day per week in addition to their parish work. Welcome all. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. It's looking mostly dry today with a westerly wind, getting brisker as the day goes on, highs of around 14 Celsius this afternoon. Some light rain around tomorrow with the wind from the northwest in the 20s MPH. Colder with a high of just 5 Celsius and down to freezing point overnight into Tuesday, which will be a similar day as it will be on Wednesday with overnight lows down possibly to minus 2 Celsius. Thursday and Friday look a little warmer with temperatures just nudging double figures. Wet on both days with light westerlies and potentially some very heavy rain as we head into the weekend. Next week on the programme, we'll hear how one dairy farm saved £25,000 a year after halving lameness rates and how they did it. Until then, have a happy Easter, stay safe and have a productive week on the farm.